Hello. <laughs> um, we're reading from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Fantastic. We are kicking off with a new series on grace, and uh, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking all the rich and wonderful doctrines of grace. Um, when I first got to Joburg, uh, I started watering my grass again because there's no water in Cape Town, even though it rains all the time. But um, what I realized, again, afresh, is just how much water a garden needs to grow. You need to do it like daily, and it needs so much water. I think it's similar for us with grace. We just need to be reminded constantly of God's amazing grace towards us. Even when we've been established in it and, it's, and, and, and we understand it intellectually, it's slippery. It kind of just gets out of our hands and out of our hearts. And so we're going to do, over the next couple of weeks, a series just looking at different aspects of God's grace, which you're looking forward to. This morning, I want to kick us off by looking at sufficient grace not amazing grace, that's the one that everybody knows, sufficient grace. You know, you know, you know the songs of amazing grace, you know the first line, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the, that saved a wretch like me. Everyone knows that line, okay? I wonder if you know the last line of the song. Towards grace that brought me thus far, and grace will lead through many dangers. And says, I have already come, and grace will lead me home. And uh, the author of that song, John Newton, uh, was, was a terrible person before he had come to Christ. He was a, he was a slaveholder. He, he was a captain of a slave ship also. And so he had done horrendous things. There's the violence associated with kidnapping and pacifying slaves. There was all sorts of promiscuity happening on these ships. And by his own admission... He was guilty of many of these things. And so when he was on his way on the Greyhound ship back to the, to the UK, and the ship was caught in this massive storm, and he was about to die, uh, he, he, he wanted to become a Christian. And the very first thing that hit him was just how debaucherous his life was and how amazing God's grace was to him. And, uh, and then he becomes a Christian, and he pins the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But that last line is not only about God's forgiveness of his sins. That last paragraph of the song, the last verse, is about God sustaining grace on him through many dangers, toils, and snares. He's already come. Through dealing with his own failures, through living with the guilt of all the things that he's done, God's grace was sufficient for him. In every circumstance, in every season of his life, God's grace was there. What a wonderful message to know that even though life is sometimes difficult, and there's no promise that you will have an uh, easy life. There's no promise that you will not face challenges. That's the reality of life. There is a promise from God that He will be with you, and His grace will be sufficient for you in every circumstance of life. You need an anchor, not for the physical storms, but perhaps for the 
for the literal storms that you're going to go through. And we have one in Jesus Christ. He is one who talks to the wind and to the waves. He is the anchor for the soul. And, and anchors are huge and big. And that is what Jesus is. He holds us sturdy. He keeps the ship on its course so that we can reach our destination and come safely home. And so from this passage of Scripture that we just uh, that Jess read to us, I think there are three kind of steps, three principles, three stages to accessing sufficient grace. The, the pain... The paradox and the prayer. The pain, the paradox, and the prayer. Let's kick off with the pain. The first step to accessing sufficient grace, I think, is being aware of your own pain. Being aware of your own limitations. God's grace is available, but sometimes we're not, we're not accessing it because we're not conscious of, of, the own, of our thorns in our flesh. We don't, we're not always aware of what those are. We're not able to label them well. So what are your weaknesses? What are your limitations? That's the question that you need to answer for, for the first step to accessing God's sufficient grace. The context in this passage is that Paul is busy defending his ministry. These um, super apostles, as he calls them, have come into uh, Corinth, and they don't like Paul, and they're trying to dissuade the church from listening to Paul and following Paul. And they say to Paul, they say to the church in Corinth, Paul is weak and Paul is worldly. Don't follow him. And Paul replies by saying, "You're right about one of them, uh, but you're wrong about the other. You're wrong. I'm not worldly, but you're right. I am weak." And he says in verse 30. I, I must boast, if I must boast, I must boast of the things that show my weakness, that show my weakness. You might want to turn this off to I'm going to get excited real soon. Uh, uh, so, so he says, here's, here's what, I, what is true about me. I'm not worldly, but I certainly am weak. And then in this context of speaking about his weakness, verse 7 comes along and he tells us he's got a specific weakness. He speaks about his thorn. I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this is an expression of his weakness. He's got something in his flesh, a thorn, he calls it. Now, the word thorn could literally be mean, could mean um, a stake, in his, like, you know, a tent peg, like the, a stake that you put in the ground. That's, that's what it could mean, something that immobilizes him, that, that, is, not, that is stopping. I want to get to my destiny. I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to live my life well, but I feel like I'm immobilized because I've got this, this, this stake in me. It could also mean what it says over here, a thorn, something that's kind of hurting you. It's in your flesh. It's there all the time. It's, it's constantly there. You, you never get rid of this pain. It's all it's there, and it's draining you of energy. It's, it's constantly destroying distracting you. It's there all the time. And so he says, this is the thing that I'm walking with. I'm walking with a thorn in my flesh, and it's a demonic thorn. It's a, it's a messenger of Satan. It's something that's, that's from the devil himself. And so this is an extreme form of, 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 of weakness in his life. And I think we all have it. We all carry these thorns. Sometimes you go to the Oscars and you make a joke with somebody, and uh, they walk up and they slap you because, because you, Chris Rock forgot that, that even people who look successful, even people who are well-dressed and well-groomed and look handsome and have made it to the top of their careers secretly have got thorns in their flesh. Well, I think we all carry them. And, and it's something that money can't help us with. It's something that popularity and success can't help us with. We carry thorns. I wonder if you know what your thorn in the flesh is. I wonder if you are conscious of your limitations. I know, if I can be real and honest with you, that, that sometimes, you know, we judged Will Smith this, this week. I know a lot of people judged him. I judged him also. But there are days when, if you're honest, 
you're capable of something like that too. Because that thorn is right there. And then you end up shouting at somebody or doing something. One day I was driving, and uh, it's a Sunday. I'm driving to church. And not, not, not here. It's in Cape Town. And I'm driving, and uh, somebody cuts in front of me, like completely sinful, demonic messenger of Satan, cuts in front of me. <laughs> and I, I give that angry hoot. You know that angry hoot when you keep... You don't take your hand off the hoot. And I follow him and hooting... And then I realized we're going into church together. And it's my pastor. It's the pastor of the church. And I just, I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit in the car. I'm not getting out. <laughs> but, hey, listen, don't judge me too hard. Because the, when the thorn is there, sometimes you're doing the presentation and somebody says something and you snap. Why? There's a thorn there. There's a thorn. People don't see the thorn. Sometimes you look like there's no thorn. But all of us, have got a thorn, and it makes you, it, it fills with you with pain, it, it takes away your strength and your energy, that's what thorns do, they cause weakness in you, do you know what your own thorn is? Are you conscious of the thorn in your own flesh? Now, this word thorn, I think, is, is important, it's nondescript, Paul doesn't give us the actual thing, and so people surmise, some theologians make, make guesses about what it is, and they've got good reasons sometimes for it. But, but I think it's deliberately nondescript and so important so that you and me, we would put our own thorn and we would put our, our own pain in that placeholder. One theologian, Michael Eaton, he puts it this way. He says, we can consider the possibilities in Paul's life, but is one of the possibilities to be found in your life. Was it some physical difficulty, malaria, poor eyesight, severe headaches, epilepsy? All of these have been suggested. Was it his enemies, possibly one special enemy? Was it persecution or a heretic constantly troubling the church? Was it some temptation that Paul found very powerful? Sexual temptation, homosexual inclinations? Could it have been his agony over Israel the nation that he loved so much? Could it be rejection by those he loved? Was it a speech impediment? Could it have been a psychological trauma which had damaged him mentally, bouts of depression, suicidal impulses, grief over his involvement in Stephen's death, slanders to which he could not reply? Was it the pain of disgrace? So often Paul was unappreciated even by his own spiritual children. Could it have been an unconverted wife who had left him in AD 42? That's when he became a Christian, and obviously, you know, he was, a, he, was a, he was a strong Jewish leader, so when he became a Christian, there's a possibility of that. Did Paul have a broken marriage? Is it not impossible? It's not impossible, sorry. Or an opposite possibility, was he immensely troubled by his being called to remain single? I suspect Paul was an immensely affectionate kind of person. I list these possibilities not because all of them are equally convincing, but because any of them might be our thorn in the flesh. What is your thorn in the flesh? It could be any of those things. It could be other things. It could be poverty for you. It could be, it could be an emotional weakness. It could be an insecurity that you limp around with. It's there all the time. It could be a failed relationship. It could be, it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be that. You don't understand passages of Scripture like this when you come straight from cemetery. Se se seminary. You, you, you need to come, yeah. You need to come from the cemetery before you understand passages like this. 
You, you need to have had some thorns in your flesh. You need to have had some pain in your life. And, and I, I want to I speak this morning to people who have been between a rock and a hard place. I want to speak this morning to people who have, who have experienced trouble, who have come from the cemetery, who have, who have walked through pain and through, through difficulty and, 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 and are wondering, man, can I actually make it through this? I don't know if I have everything that it takes to make it through this. This is who this passage is speaking to this morning. And sometimes it's not even because of your own sin. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that, that scene. He's in the garden and he prays. He says, May this, take this cup from, from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of the, of the crucifixion that I'm about to face and endure. Take this cup of suffering from me, if you're willing. Yet, not my will be done, but yours. And so if Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one, the one without sin, has got a thorn in his side, what about you? What about me? We, we, we've got thorns that we all have to deal with. Sometimes it's not our own doing, and we all have to align ourselves to God's will for our lives in those moments when we've got that thorn in the flesh. So step one to accessing God's sufficient grace is to label your thorn. Do you know what your thorn is? Do you know what your pain is? Step two is to understand that grace is paradoxical, to see the paradoxical nature of sufficient grace. Um, the Oxford def definition for paradox is this, a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. It looks like a contradiction, and, and, and it looks like it's wrong, but actually, when you think about it a little bit more, when you investigate a little bit more, it turns out that it's actually true. And so what happens in this passage, I think, is a paradox. What happens in our lives is sometimes paradoxical. We have got a thorn in the flesh. We've got this thing that's hurting us, and we keep pleading, God, take it away. And God says, no, I'm not taking it away. I'm not taking it away. And I'm going to use it to make you stronger. I'm going to use it to make you stronger. It's like, for most of us, when that happens, when, when, when we're saying this is making me weak and God says no, we go, okay, then I'm going to try something else. If the, if the faith doesn't work to remove this thing, I'm going to try something else. And so it's so important that we see the paradox of sufficient grace, that actually the thing that we think is here to, to make us weak and to destroy us is actually meant to empower us and to strengthen us. I want you to look at the paradoxes in this passage again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Contradiction? No, not a contradiction. That's the paradox of sufficient grace. When you are weakest, you're actually strongest. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. You see that? It's not, it's not that he's down and out about it. It's not that he's, that he's bleak about it. He's saying, I'll, 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 I'll rejoice in this. I, I, I can boast gladly in my weaknesses because Christ's power rests on me in that state. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. I take joy in. I'm happy about. I'm filled with a sense of positivity. I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in my insults. I delight in the hardships. I delight in the persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak then I'm strong. That's the paradox about sufficient grace. Do you see it perhaps in this passage or perhaps in your own life? And it's not, it's not having a martyr syndrome. 
It's not saying, I love pain, and so I love persecution. Bring it on. You come to the right person. I'm a martyr. No, it's not what he's saying. It's not, I delight in the pain of persecution and hardships and trials. No, he's saying, listen, I, I delight in what that pain produces in me. I delight in what the persecution and the hardships and the weaknesses develop in me. Because when, when I'm in that state, when I'm weak, I'm actually strengthened by God and I'm made strong and I learn more about who He is and His grace towards me. It's in that place that I start to rejoice in the rush of being filled with the presence of God. That's what he's saying. You know, King David, uh, you know the story about David and Goliath. I don't think David delighted in the fact that he was small and weak and inexperienced in comparison to the nine-foot giant that he was up against who was strong, big, and experienced. He's not going, yay, I'm so tiny, and I'm small, and I'm going to go with my small, small self and go and fight the giant. No, no, he, he delights in the rush of knowing that even despite his height or, or strength or inexperience, God is going to empower him to slay the giant. That's what it's about. It's about seeing yourself, perhaps with the unchanged circumstances, seeing your small self in the midst, facing these big giants in your life, whatever they might be, addictions, giants of, 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 of loss, giants of a difficult relationship, giants of addiction. You see the big giants. You see that they're huge. And God says, I'm not going to make you bigger, but what I am going to do is I'm going to sustain you through this. I'm going to give you my own spirit, my own power, my own revelation. Grace is going to come to you in your smallness, and you're going to have the power to defeat the giant. I see each one of us facing these giants. And going to the giant and saying, listen, you come to me with a sword and a spear. All I've got is a stone, but what I've got along with the stone is the sufficient grace of God. And with the sufficient grace of God, it's enough to defeat the giants in our lives. Hallelujah. That's, that's what we delight in. That's why Paul is saying, I can boast in my weaknesses. It might seem paradoxical that he's rejoicing and delighting in his weakness, in the fact that God said no. God, God said no. I mean... When God says no to you, what do you do then? I've heard lots of sermons on when God says yes, and God's going to bless, and God's going to change. But when God says no, and, and you have to live with the, with the thorn, he, what, what is he doing then? He's, he's saying, I want you to be weak enough so that, you would, so that you'd actually be strong. God said to Gideon before he went and fought the armies, he said to Gideon, your army's too big. You have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength saved me. That's what he's saying. He's saying uh, you, 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 sometimes you need to be made weak. And so, and so the, the weakest moment in your life is actually the moment when you are strongest. Your, your biggest battle that you face I mean, it was, a, it was a demon that was sent to torment Paul. It, it, this was a serious thing that was happening to him. The, the biggest deficit is actually the biggest deposit from God for you. Can you reframe the suffering? Can you see yourself as being empowered by God for, for victory? And it's not, it's, not that, it's not that you and I praise God when he, when, he, when, he says, when he says no, because we, we are strong in ourselves, and we praise him because it's a victory of grace. For David, it wasn't David's victory because David was powerful and strong. No, it was a victory of grace because God came through in mighty strength and empowered him and strengthened him and won the battle 
and used him as small as he was and as inexperienced as he was to slay the giant. Sometimes grace is not that you get the happy ending that you wanted. Sometimes grace is that it stops bothering you. Sometimes grace is not that you get the plan A that you wanted. Sometimes grace is I'm in plan B, but guess what? I've got an anchor for the soul. I've got one who can silence wind and waves. I've got one who can slay giants, and he's fighting for me. God himself is with me. And even when he says no, I will still praise him. I will still bless him because, here's the thing, I still win. I'm still victorious even in the midst of this difficulty and in the midst of the storm. I can bless him, and I can worship him. Hallelujah. You still win. Even when he says no, he makes you weak so that you can be strong. And then finally, Stage three, step number three is the prayer, the prayer. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I don't think he means like, uh, he just said like a one-liner to God, like, please take it away, one, please take it away, two. Like, no, I don't think that's what's happening, right? I think he was living in a season of fasting and prayer, constantly pouring out. There were seasons where he prayed and he said, Lord, take it away. Have you ever been in those seasons? Where you're like, you know, God, it's, uh, it's me again. Hey, Ryan, still praying about that thing I prayed about yesterday. Nothing's changed. You know, just wondering when you're going to get to my knee mail. It's been a while. Uh, I know I'm bad with admin, but like you are God. So just like reply and change the situation. Have you ever been in that situation where, you, where you, you're praying about the same thing day in, day out? You keep praying you, you, and, and God is using the thorn to develop a sense of humility, a sense of dependence on Him, because that's really the key to experiencing grace, isn't it? The only thing that stops grace is our own pride. The only thing that stops grace in our lives is, I don't need it. I'm fine. I'm strong. I got this. But, but, but when you're living in these seasons where you're coming to God with the same thing, God's busy developing a sense of humility, a sense of dependence on Him. And... Um, you know, I'd like to say that I've, I've always prayed a lot, I, but the reality is I, I haven't. And it's been thorns in my life that have, that have deepened my prayer life. Isn't that true for you? Thorns in your life that deepened your prayer life, right? You want to say, man, it's God's glory and His beauty and His majesty that, 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 that drew you into longer prayer times, into richer intimacy with Him. But, but some, for me, it's been actually the thorn. That, that drew me into deeper prayer, into deeper dependency on Him. And so, and so sometimes, uh, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't cry out because there's no, ooh, there's no ouchie, there's no pain. But sometimes when you start walking with that, you start feeling that, ow, that sore pain, that's when you, you, start, to, you start to pray, you start to, you start to learn. And it's not something that somebody can preach about. It's not something that somebody can, your friend can share with you about. Because you know how it is when your friend says to you, oh, listen, work is just crazy, and they're sharing a, th a thorn about work, or they're sharing a thorn about something else, and you go, no, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, and then emoji prayer hands, and then you, you kind of go, Lord, yo, please help them. Yo, okay, I need a coffee. That was a, was a good prayer session. Right, it's done. That's it. That's, that's all the prayer there was. Why? Because it's not your, you're not feeling it. It's not, ooh, it's not your, it's not, it's not your own flesh, right? But when it's your own financial situation, ooh, you feel it, right? When it's your own marriage relationship, it's like, oh, this is hard. I need to pray. When it's, when it, you know, when it's you, when it's, when it's your own addiction that you're struggling with, you're like, oh, this is, I really need to, 
I need to come before God in dependence. And so God uses this thorn to, to do something in Paul, to do something in us. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. And then eventually he stops pleading with the Lord to take it away because he realizes that he has to live in this place of dependence. And he stays in this place of dependence on God. And, uh, you know, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you remember right towards the end of, the, of that passage of Scripture, Jesus is praying and he's really stressed out and he's sweating drops of blood. The, the thorn is so intense that he's sweating drops of blood. I think it's a real medical thing, hematidrosis. It could be some people speculate that because of real exertion and stress, you can literally sweat drops of blood. And so he's, he's in this place sweating drops of blood. He's freaked out. He's going to go to the cross. And you know when you're under pressure what it's like. You, you feel like, uh, you remember that there was a bridge that, that broke a couple of years ago in 2014, and uh, the M1 and, and, the, and it, just, it was just one too many person that walked over there, and there was design flaws with it, and, but it broke, and you can feel like that. I think that's what Jesus felt like. I think that's what Paul felt like. I think so many of you feel like just one more person, just one more thing going wrong. I'm going to snap. I'm going to break. I'm going to Will Smith, right? You, you feel like that. And uh, when you're in that place, all you want is someone to just understand, someone to, to be with you. And Jesus, where's the disciples? They're sleeping. They're falling asleep. And Jesus says, just pray with me. Okay, he comes to them. They say, pray with me. Just, just pray. He goes off and he prays. And he comes back the first time. They're sleeping. And I'm imagining Jesus going, man, if I wasn't the Lord Jesus. Just, you know, sometimes you just want to say to people, like, you know what I want to do right now. Will Smith, and he, and he, and he wakes, and he wakes the disciples, they wake up, they wake up, and then he goes off again, and he prays some more, and then he comes back the second time, and he sees them sleeping again, and you know, the second time, he doesn't wake them up, did you notice that, he doesn't wake them up, and then he goes off, and he prays again, and then the third time, he comes back, and, and the third time, they're sleeping again, they fast asleep, the disciples, and and it's, it's an interesting verse because it can be translated like, why are you still sleeping? Like a question, wake up, why are you still sleeping? It could also be translated, like many translations uh, translated is sleep on. Sleep on, keep sleeping. It's okay. So get your rest. It's, you know, the New King James, the King James, New Living Translation, Young's Little. There's a lot of translations that, relate, that, that say, Just keep sleeping, it's okay. It's all right. He doesn't wake them up. And I think this is the key. This is what it comes down to. Sometimes there are people in your life that you're getting upset with. You're saying, wake up. You need to be there for me. Wake up. I'm going through this hematidrosis. Like I'm the bridge. I'm about to snap. Wait, I, I, need, I need you. And God's saying, no, no, no. You, there's a source. They can't give you what you need anyway. Let them sleep. Let, 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 let the addiction stop turning to, the, to this thing. Stop turning to this thing for comfort. No, no, no. Let it sleep. Let it sleep. Who do you need to let sleep? And, 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 and you, you perhaps have to even look inwardly and go, man, it's okay. It's okay, Ryan. You, you can't even give you what you need. Stop turning to yourself. You need to turn to someone else, the anchor, the one who is able to give grace upon grace, the one whose love can wash over your heart and your soul, the one whose peace goes beyond understanding beyond any circumstance and situation who can empower you when you are weak and make you strong. Who do you need to let sleep? What are you turning to? The grace of God, the sufficient grace of God is there for you, is there for you. 
Turn to him. Turn to his grace and his mercy. He's the one who died in your place for your sins to forgive you, but also so that you would be strengthened through the difficulties and the challenges. I want to close off as the band comes on up with another hymn by John Newton. And uh, this hymn is called, My Grace is Sufficient for Thee. Won't you make these your own words as I read them to you? Oppressed with unbelief and sin, fightings without and fears within, while earth and hell with force combined assault and terrify my mind. What strength have I against such foes, such hosts and legions to oppose? Alas, I tremble, faint and fall. Lord, save me, who I give up all. Though sorely pressed, I sought the Lord to give me some sweet cheering word. Again I sought and yet again I waited long, but not in vain. Oh, t'was a cheering word indeed, exactly suited to my need. Sufficient for thee is my grace, thy weakness, my great power displace. Now despond and mourn no more. I welcome all I feared before. Though weak, I'm strong. Make that your own. Though weak, I'm strong. Though troubled, blessed. For Christ's own power shall on me rest.